0: So hello everyone, it's Avi Ratnanesen here, founder and CEO of Energes. And today I have a uh, very privileged to have uh, uh, our guest, uh, Jason Wolf, who's the president and CEO of the Beryl Institute. Uh, he holds several roles. He is also the founder and president of the Patient Experience Institute and founding editor of the Patient Experience Journal. So Jason's a respected speaker, author and thought leader on patient experience excellence, high performing cultures. Uh, Leadership and organizational change. He is certainly a collaborative and visionary leader. He's built lots of partnerships all around the world, including with us at Energes, and he is catalyzing significant efforts for improving healthcare all around the world. Jason, thanks very much for joining us today.
1: Thank you, thank you, uh, Dr. Avi, and I'm going to let you do my introduction anywhere I go now. So I appreciate (laughs) that.
0: That's right. I can (laughs) fly me over to America just to do the introductions and. And and so it. on on <laughs> stage, so, yeah. So Jason, thanks very much, um, and for joining our podcast today on the future of the patient experience. Um, I guess the first question, Jason, is you know what's in all your time doing this work? What's really shaped your definition, or or the barrel's definition of you know what the patient experience actually is?
1: Uh, you know, I think um, as you know, we uh, now nine years ago worked with the members of our global community to. To really frame what the patient experience is as the sum of all interactions shaped by an organization culture, that influenced patient perceptions across the continuum of care. And I think for us, the reality and the recognition was, and the reinforcement over these last uh, nine years of our journey at the Institute has been that, in first and foremost, that in healthcare we're human beings caring for human beings, um, and the where experience happens is really is that is that point of one human being with another at that point of interaction. Now it's changing through technology and other things, but still I think we have to acknowledge that regardless of the mode of connection, healthcare is still a series of interactions. And those interactions are framed by the kind of organizations we build. So the cultures that we espouse, the behaviors, the expectations, the purpose that we underline in our work. And so those two things have been really essential and I think reinforced by our work that experience is really around interactions that people have and the culture of the organization uh, in which they are found. And then just to reinforce that we, we just don't speak within the four walls of a clinical encounter or a healthcare organization, but it truly is uh, someone's journey. at all touch points across the healthcare continuum. And At the end of the day, as much as we can say we know or we believe we know on the delivery side of healthcare what people think and feel, the perceptions of a patient, of their family member, of their support network around them uh, is the true measure of success. And so we have to really understand that experience encompasses all of those elements. and. We've seen that reinforced again and again through the way organizations have acted, behaved, and developed their own framing around this work as well.
0: Mm. And, you know, it's very interesting to say, you know, it's around the, the interactions, the, the human interactions that we have across different touch points, you know, and, and there's a lot of challenges in, in, in healthcare. You know, what, what are you seeing as some of the barriers to making a great patient experience happen? You know, you've, you've obviously spoken to so many um, hospitals and health services all around the world. Um, yeah, what do you see as the the top top three challenges? I suppose.
1: Yeah, the top three challenges. Well, I mean, let's see if I could delineate those. I mean, I think you know, I think first and foremost is I think the the number one challenge, whether people can acknowledge it or not, is that that they make experience something else people have to do. Mm. So go off and do the experience thing. Um, I know people listen to a podcast can't see my air quotes, but that's what I mean. Yes, the, the <laughs> The, um, and I think this is what happens. I mean, the reality in healthcare today is that, and the reality in any consumer-facing industry, I mean, yes, healthcare is a consumer-facing industry. We happen to have a very unique customer base and we have a group called patients that are in specific needs, with specific um, and often challenging situations. But regardless, the, the reality for us is that experience happens in healthcare. I and mean, we can either strategically plan for it, focus on it, make make, you know, put the right plans in place to address it, or we can just let it happen. Experience will be there no matter what we do. When we make experience just another thing people need to focus on, it becomes a list of the multiplicity of things we ask people to manage in healthcare. And for that reason, I've seen experience be pushed to the side, or uh, like prioritized lower in the rung of things, quote unquote, to do, because people think we have other things more important. Like we have to provide quality outcomes or these kind of things now. If you look at it from that perspective, experience from the lens of those experience healthcare from the consumer, a patient, or family member, that includes quality, that includes safety, that includes outcomes, that includes cost, that includes all of those things. Yeah. And so experience happens. And so I think the first challenge that I see is when people make experience something to do. Okay. Um, and then I would say that I believe a lot of it from there stems from that, right? It's it's a it's a function or focus of organization that often yeah. is under resourced yeah. um, yes experience happens but if you're going to address it strategically you have to be willing to invest in the resources that it takes to address it
2: effectively yeah. and
1: so the capacity to make sure that the right leadership structures are in place the right commitments supported the right strategies are built yeah. to ensure consistency and experience it, it is critical so yeah. You know, to me, you know, there's probably more than two challenges wrapped up in those two points alone, but I think yeah. this making experience a thing versus the reality of what healthcare delivers every day, mm-hmm. and then the, the the lack of investment and support um, for that really becomes an issue. And a lot of times you can see how number two is a result of number one, yeah. because if it's, it's just the thing I'm supposed to do, well, I got to prioritize other, other items in my organization and this experience thing is nice, but... Uh, we'll see if we can scrap together a few dollars to support it going forward. Yeah, that, I think, and that's the wrong idea because then you end up losing the whole foundation of focus on what's most important, which is delivering care to those we care for and serving healthcare and caring for those who deliver care every day.
0: Mm. Yeah, so you know, it, it's really interesting you said that. I was just you know consulting to another uh, organization in rural health, and there was you know gave a bunch of recommendations. Uh, on on how they proceed moving forward, and then the the issue came up of okay, well we don't have the resources to put some of these in place, and 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 so then we're working now through the next steps of you know well, what are the strategies you put in place? I suppose in your in your um, experience, um, you know, in, in talking to and advising all these organizations, what have you seen as success? You know, how do they? How do organizations actually make that change when there are resource constraints, when they have competing priorities? You know, how, how have you seen the successful ones do it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we have to acknowledge first, right, in healthcare, in any place in this globe that I've had an opportunity to be, it seems that those are consistent challenges, right? Yeah. Competing priorities, resource constraints, um, so I don't think anyone's living in a different state around that, regardless of the type of healthcare system uh, or the type of demographics that you even serve through your healthcare systems, whether you're a rural institution or an urban health center, um, whether you're a public hospital or a private institution, I think those all Mm. are consistent. Mm. You know, to me, that's going to seem overly simplistic, it's a commitment. It's a realization that this idea is essential to who we are and want to be as an organization. that the, mm. I think it's a realization in organizations that um, they have a a broader or a bigger or a larger commitment to care for those they serve. Mm. But acknowledging the experience and experiencing this idea of patient experience isn't simply like the people we deliver care to or even then how it's evolved poor or now with, mm. but it is about the caregivers themselves. It's about the, mm. the, the staff who deliver care. Mm. So good organizations, committed organizations, I think organizations that excel are working on caring for the people that Mm -hmm. deliver care every day as those that they serve. When you Mm -hmm. elevate the capacity of your own organization Mm -hmm. um, to deliver experience, you ultimately elevate the ability to provide better experience overall. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's the organizations that have focused on themselves and the strengths that they can deliver and the realization that an experience is what they wanna provide. And they've looked at it, like I alluded to before, this integrated lens of mm. understanding it's about safe, reliable care. It's about yeah providing the best, about helping people get access in a way that's valuable and useful to them. And, mm. and all of those things matter.
0: Mm. No, and, and, and you know, it's, it's really interesting. It's, it's, it's you know, we've, obviously the, a lot of the literature says that, you know, there are correlations between... A positive staff experience and a positive patient experience, right? So in many organizations, mm-hmm. uh, if the staff are happy, the patients are happy, and and, and vice versa. It's it's this positive cycle. Um, but where have you yeah. where where have you seen, I suppose, successful, um, I suppose, tactical implementations? Are there any examples that come to mind of where you've seen a particular example of where they've done that well, and what did they actually put in place to? I suppose uh, you know either improve the patient experience or the staff experience or both. Does anything come to mind
1: yeah I, you know I think there are there are and I think there there are probably globally recognized core tactics that help people right. um address this i mean I would say one is right, selecting um the best people possible and or re- reinforcing the behavioral expectations that you have of staff I, mean, okay. I think to your point either. The the reality is that in any industry, you know, if you walk into a retailer down the street uh, mm. from you there in Australia, if the employees are grumpy and mad, you're not going to have a good experience, right? Mm. I mean, I think this, so. To your point, that's kind of almost a given, but there got to be an investment in the people, mm. the behaviors, and the expectations, and then provide them some structure mm. in which uh, you expect them to engage with the people, with each mm. other, and mm. with the people you serve. So, mm. You know, I, you know, I know there's a lot of monikers out there about how people want individuals to communicate while they're in healthcare settings. Um, yeah. I believe they're useful, um, and there's a million versions, so I won't even, yeah. s- s- you know, test yeah. to one, but yeah. giving people a structure to communicate and think yeah. about how they engage with mm. If we believe it's around um, interactions human being to human being or via technology now, mm. that they have to have some expectation of how they behave and some structure by which they engage patients and families that mm. really make a difference and then you know I, this one's probably, and the third one that i see and it's mm. again going to be like a, like a duh. <laughs> but i mean that you know the fact that people do do some level of purposeful rounding in their organizations and this is not yeah. just an acute care mm. but this happens in all i mean and that really is is you know effective leadership rounding mm. that people are really watching for and modeling the kind of expected behaviors we spoke to they are checking in on the needs and the input of their people that are delivering care, that they're showing up at the bedside and asking Mm. um, and checking with people at the bedside that they're getting what they need. And Mm. at the same time managing up, they're talking about how great the people are in that institution caring for them. Right. Um, So it's a process that um, enables people to be more effective and not to minimalize, but I mean, think about when you're sitting the last time you were sitting in a restaurant And the restaurant manager pops by your table.
2: Yes. And says, Do
1: you have it? Hope you're having a good time. Please let us know everything you need. You know your server. She's the best one we have. Yes. They're basically modeling that in that simple state. Now it's a Mm. less, probably, no, not even probably, it is a much less stressful environment. And Mm. sitting at a table in a restaurant was the the same. Yes. You felt heard, respected, you felt listened to. Yeah. Said, wow, we got the best server in the in the restaurant. I mean, all these things. Yeah, um, that server that she got. I mean, so this idea of connecting with the people that are mm. in our service, that are mm. being served by our organizations, I think is important. Mm. And um, so, I you know, those three things to me: mm. getting the right people, creating the right expectations and means by which they engage, mm. and then getting in getting out into space to reinforce and support it happening are really critical.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Those three recommendations are, you know, are excellent. Now, I just want to pick on the rounding one uh, a little bit because obviously, you know, that purposeful rounding uh, comes up quite a bit. Do you see that happening as leadership rounding being sort of the CEOs and the senior executives? Or are you seeing that rounding also occurring, or also being effective from middle management um, uh, yeah, I or clinicians? I- I think all levels.
1: I mean, I would just say okay. all levels. It's just one person, and it has to be done in a way where there's there is shared ownership. So mm. you can't just be like the C-suite that runs around and knocks on a table and says, "Hi, I'm here," and runs away. Mm. Um, but I think it's time for everybody in the organization. I mean, some of the most um, impactful case studies are when you see nurse managers getting out there, there's a, you know, and and delivering on delivering on that kind of rounding experience where they're talking to their staff, they're showing up the bedsides, they're having conversation with family members. And mm-hmm. um, you know, those kind of practices, they're not only meant to, to hear things from patients and family members, they really help reinforce the fabric of, you know, you know, a clinical delivery team or even a non-clinical delivery team's well-being.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
1: you know, we just did a study not too long ago, uh, you know, in this paper we did to Careers Human where you know while the high performing units said yes we have to communicate better with patients and family members and we have to ensure that we understand their needs and listen with courtesy and respect hmm. the next two things they said is we have to have a highly engaged workforce and we have to focus on clinical team well being so they acknowledge that we can't do one without the other yes. so grounding is that yes um, and effective ensures that
0: mm. and and you know it, it's it's I often hear that patient the improving patient experience is really complicated there 's no one way to do it there 's many different strategies out there um, and you know I think if you look at the variety of case studies there 's certainly such a huge variety out there and you 've really picked the the top you know sort of three factors that you 've seen to be really useful. What about financial outcomes and you know the link to financials and this you know i often caught in this debate um, and uh, with, with how you incentivize people to, you know, behave differently and where the financial incentives work. We know in the U.S. health system, a certain percentage of hospital reimbursement is tied to, you know, the patient experience scores in Australia, the public sector. It's different. And it, you know, um, they're starting to bring it into some of the service level agreements for public, the private sector and the yeah. private hospitals have, you know, uh, the desire to attract more patients. What what are you saying? Um, as you know, do you support the link between financial incentives and uh, you know improving the experience, or what, what's your feeling on that?
1: Um, you know, this is a it's a great question. I don't know that I disagree or agree with them. I okay. think there are means, right? Um, and I think there's a lot of debate over you know whether we should be using, like you said, financial incentives to inspire people to think about experience. The reality is the financial extent, but, but here's the reality for me. Financial incentives already exist. No matter the kind of system, right? Even a system where you know you're gonna get a certain set amount of funding, if you're the hospital that people tend to choose. I mean, I know, you know, level of choice is different in different systems, but yeah. people even in Australia, right, choose I'm gonna go across town to that facility versus this one. Yeah. It shows up in their numbers. They're gonna get recognized for that. It's gonna change the financial structure. So yeah. there are, incent- beyond just the, we're gonna reward you for scores, which is kind of, I think, the basis to base incentives. The real, the real financial incentive for performing well and experience is the fact that you become healthcare organizations that people choose and you get rewarded for it in that way. So whether there's actually the formal financial incentives in place, mm. there's already an informal structure of incentive that whether we're willing to recognize that or not. Yeah. Now, I think the, the formal structure helps catalyze mm. um, like for instance, let me use the example in the states, and I've seen this in a couple of different countries, but let's just use the cap survey, which was the government mandated survey in the United States. Yeah. I think it did three things. Mm. I think it helped the people that always believed focusing kind on of experience was important mm. to now feel comfortable doing it, because before, when the healthcare system just incentivized volume, like how many people came through your yeah. door, and you basically order per right, whatever. Yeah. Um, doing the extra stuff for experience wasn't really rewarded so yeah it, it gave people that it was important now the ability to do those things
2: mm.
1: for those that were on the fence it had them probably lean towards doing more of that than before so it's pushed some people upstream on that one mm. but for the third of the population of folks that thought it was just a bunch of gook anyway they didn't care they were like i'll find another way to make it up what we're going to lose for this so i mean I can't, it's not a perfect world. Like, like everybody's yeah. trying to achieve number because I, I literally had a CEO one day say to me, Jason, I can go invest in, for instance, in my hospital, Gamma knife and open up a gamma yes. knife center. Yes. And invest the money. And I know I can generate X dollars in revenue. And even though I might lose incentive dollars in experience, yeah. I can outperform it with Gamma knife. And at the end of the day, I'm up, I'm net up dollars. So what does it matter? And I think, The short-sightedness of that is exactly what I was saying before, Mm. because what they weren't thinking about was the, you know, they weren't thinking off the spreadsheet, you know, dollars lost for a reimbursable or incented performance versus dollars gained through a new machine because the dollars lost for an unincentive performance had the ripple effect we just talked about, right? People stop choosing you. The word gets out you're not good. People don't want to come. You start losing other incentives. And so so the cost, of not is much bigger than I think some people are willing to look at, and incentives sometimes have people look too narrowly yeah. at the actual impact of not performing well.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, that's so, so interesting that you talked about the the Gamma Knife example. Uh, you know, and some of the work that we've done with uh, private hospitals, and um, uh, it's a there is a similar rhetoric where you know you introduce new technology, and that's going to make the technology you know the, the um, the, the experience look really, you know, fantastic, and people are going to come because of that. So I don't really have to work on the human side of things and 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 behavior change, which is all too hard. And uh, yeah, so it's it's a it's a nice analogy, I suppose. One of the last questions, Jason, is you know, uh, last two questions. I mean, what what do you see as um, you know, for sustainability, for long term sustainability? Um, you know, I've had you know a number of organizations say, okay, we've we've introduced strategies, we've We've helped. We've started to see pockets of improvement, but it's kind of fluctuating. You know, when we, as soon as we take mm-hmm. our eye off the ball, it sort of drops. You know, what are you seeing? Some of the, uh, I suppose, one or two things that you tactics or strategies that have helped organizations embed or sustain, you know, kind of long term um, improvement uh, in experience.
1: Yeah, well, so you could, I could, I could, I could refer you to my dissertation if you want, because it was all on <laughs> sustaining hyper. I don't care, but the um,
2: yeah right. But not
1: to not to, not to stretch out my answer here. I mean, if, you know, I think it comes back down to the same things. Like you said, people take their eye off the ball See what happens? That exact thing you said is because people may experience something to do mm. ex- instead of experiencing all. Yeah. The organizations that I mean, they understand one that experiences who they are. Yeah. It becomes part of the organization they want to be and not right. another thing to do. Yeah. Because. You have something to do, or you make it an initiative. You know, yeah. my joke always is: every initiative I've ever been part of in healthcare mm. has a beginning, mm. a middle, before an end. And whether you're conscious of it or not, it means you stopped doing something, it means you're yeah. not going to see the sustained result. Yeah. So one, this has to be wedded into the kind of place mm. healthcare organizations want to be, whether they're a hospital or a yeah. you know a physician practice or a surgery center, whatever they are. Yeah. A nursing home. You know, I mean. Yeah. They have to just have to be built into who they are and that's that's probably one of the most important things and you you do that by you know creating leadership that kind of sets focus but also learns to listen to its people by Mm. you know ensuring like we said people that understand that they have to be part of something bigger than themselves but are still individual enough to make the right decisions in the moment at that point of interaction Mm. and when you are able to sustain a kind of culture that has clarity of purpose, but enough agility to move and bend when it needs to. I mean, that was my dissertation in a nutshell, those three things. But I mean, that really supports an organizational being able to do what I said, weave it into who they are. So yeah. to me, the, the sustainability is getting away from the thing to do. Yeah. You know, it's not a pillar of your success. It's not one of the nine strategies you have for your organization. Mm. Um, because, you know, Wednesday isn't the day of the week you focus on experience. You're doing it all the time, mm. and, and so you know that to me is the has been the linchpin where mm. I've seen sustained success.
0: Right, and it's interesting. I kind of see in some organizations it starts off as an initiative, but then it translates into business as usual over time as they right. sort of uh, you know go through that maturity curve. And I suppose last question, you know, coming back to the Australian context, um, you know, what what do you think? You know, the one or two things from your experience of looking at where Australia the Australian health system is at. And I know you've come out here a number of times. What do you think are you know, the one or two things that we need to do in Australia to actually improve our health system into a more person-centered um, manner? What's the, what are the things we need to do to evolve our maturity in that space, whether that's at a system level or organizational level? Um, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, I mean, I think you know, with the with the state system, obviously, it's interesting because getting a national getting national focus sometimes is difficult, right? Yeah, I, I you know, yeah. from the um, so part of it is, I mean, I think you know, good or bad, what you think about the CAP survey, for instance, in the United States, it got everybody aligned around sort of some common ideas, and so it created a, a transnational kind of a not a transnational, but a, but a but a national dialogue on. What was important, and some people did really well, and some people didn't. Mm -hmm. You know, in in the UK, they implemented the friends and family test, and they kind of got to that level of a national dialogue on what it looks like in every one of their costs around the UK. Um, Mm -hmm. That's a struggle right now, for instance, that what's going on in Canada because they still have provincial healthcare systems, Mm -hmm. and so. They're, still not, they're all doing variations of a theme and trying to share ideas. Yeah. So one thing is a dialogue that helps everybody think about the same thing. Mm. Um, so you'll, a theme is a lot about integration. And I think you have what I experienced with some amazing, I mean, some of the most thoughtful, innovative thinkers in healthcare in, in Australia. But we still kind of segment, in my observation is segmenting the care, like we've got clinical excellence one thing and clinical innovation somewhere else. We've got all these pieces and parts that are doing their Structural best to elevate the healthcare system. Yeah, but where the experience collectively sits Mm. is still unclear Mm. So I think it's difficult for an operator you know when I had the chance to walk the halls of some of the different hospitals and talk to some of the executives Mm -hmm. to understand where They need to focus because they're being called, you know, yeah Whether I was in a Western Australia or in Sydney or wherever I mean They're being called by certain things from this Commission or from certain things from this agency. Yes and Experience fits in that has to become a patchwork of those things. So yeah. it might be a broader systemic observation that there is still an uh, an, an opportunity within the Australian system to elevate the discussion mm. um, to one when everyone's on the same plane. Yeah. And you, correct me, I might be missing something. And I've not been there in a year and a half now, so maybe mm. there's an evolution going on. But to me, that that was always concerning. And the same thing has happened in the states. You know, when you had. Different organizations before CAPS talking about different things that were important. Yeah. So I mean, it is a the uh, sort of a trend line for I think how countries in general, how we in healthcare overall begin to create an aligned conversation. But there's an opportunity, I think, there for sure.
0: Yeah. No, I think I think you're, you're spot on, Jason, in that you know there's still you know you're still seeing some leaders who are very person centered and want to drive the. The, you know initiatives around patient experience, and uh, because it's the right thing to do, and 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 put them in place, and be quite—I wouldn't say the word aggressive, but proactive about putting them in place. But uh, you know, there, there's still a lot of uh, lack of organisational uh, you know, system-wide cohesion. We do have one of the standards uh, uh, partnering with consumers, which is standard two, and that sort of you know yeah. means that you know it's it's embedded um, in in some way. But how we apply that. It's, it's, there's a big variation in how we apply that. What that means,
1: and you know, and is that enough? to
0: yeah. answer The questions Yeah. Is it enough to just tick a box, or you know, to to take the yeah. the, the step further? So, uh, look, that that's fantastic, Jason. I want to thank you very much for your time. It was very, very insightful conversation, um, and I want to let you go. But I also want to point people to the Beryl Institute. It's been a fantastic resource for uh, me and my team, our clients, and and all our partners. Um, uh, a lot of uh, the Patient Experience Journal, there's a lot of articles in there. And Jason, do you want to give a plug to the Beryl Institute conference, which I've been to twice now, and it's absolutely fantastic. When's the next one coming up?
1: Well, next. I appreciate that. Yep. I mean, all the information you talked about is available on our site at the Yes. There's a lot of letters, but a lot of information when you get there. Yeah. And then, yeah, we do have our annual conference, uh, which I believe this year is April of 2020, actually April 20, 21, and 22 of 2020. So there's a lot of 20s in that, Um, and it happens. Happens to be in Orlando, Florida, for the first time this year. So it will be a family-friendly event, and yeah, you know, we'd love to have people join us. But you know, as a virtual organization, we've been really lucky and fortunate to you know have great global partners such as UAB and others, Um, because this is a global discussion, right? Everywhere I stand in the world, we are human beings. Yeah. I mean, that comes back to where we started, right? Yeah. are uh, different where we are, what country we happen to be in. And if we can get that part right, then we're doing well. So I appreciate the chance to be with you too.
0: Thank you. Thanks, Jason. And thanks for your mission and continuing to uh, elevate human interactions all over the world. That's really fantastic. And uh, I look forward to staying in touch and uh, continuing our partnership. Thanks, Jason.